0: keep your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, and if you would, uh, you might want to mark Exodus chapter 17. We'll flip back to Exodus 17 and look at verses 8 through 13 while we're studying uh, this passage. So we're, we're working through the book of Philippians uh, verse by verse, word by word, and uh, last week was Men's Day, so we're Uh, We've skipped a week, but we're jumping back into right where we left off the last time we were together in Philippians. And we're looking at today flesh and blood examples of godliness. Flesh and blood examples of godliness. Let's pause for a moment once again and ask God to help us today. Father, here here we are. Or again, we find ourselves assembled once again at this particular location of your, the global body of Christ, and this uh, local expression of your people. We meet here on Sundays at 254 Grassy Pond Road because we have been redeemed. And we look and we realize, God, you've brought us back after another week. You've, you've brought us through. You have held us. You have sustained us. You have sanctified us. Your mercies have been new every morning throughout this previous week. Lord, you have, you have spoken to our hearts. You've been good to us. You've been faithful to us even in those moments and times this past week where we were faithless toward you and so lord in our heart of hearts we want to say with all that is within us you are a good god and you have been good to us we love you and we praise you we cannot in our hearts we cannot yield to you the the worship and the and the thanksgiving the gratefulness that is due to who you are and to what you've done on our behalf. Not only in just this past week, but for eternity. All that you have in store for your people, and none of it do we deserve. You have truly, as your word says, lavished us with your grace. And for that, God... We love you, we praise you, we bow before you, we worship you. And we ask God that you would take your your precious holy word that is alive and that you would apply it to our hearts. As we look into scripture today at two examples of godliness, we pray that you would stir in us, that you would awaken in us a great hunger and a great passion to be godly people, a great zeal in, in, the, in our heart of hearts that one of the foremost drives, one of the foremost passions of our soul would, would be that we might be so overtaken with the gospel and overtaken with Christ That as Timothy and Epaphroditus, we would stand out, Lord, not only in the church, but in the community, in the world, at school, at work, on the golf course, on the field. Wherever we find ourselves, Lord, that that people would find you in us. And for that, Lord, we need a a miraculous, tremendous, fresh move of your spirit in our hearts today. So we surrender. Do a great work in your people. Work in us what we will then work out. We ask it in the precious name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. So just recapping where we are in Philippians, Paul has been emphasizing the need for unity in the church. The church must be one. So he says things like have the same mind, have the same love, be of the same spirit. In other words, if you want the gospel to really take off in your heart, in your home, in your family, in, in the community in which you live, if you want the gospel to, to really take hold and latch on and be unified, nothing distracts from the gospel message more than, than a divisive congregation. And so unity across the whole of a congregation will require great humility among each of its individual members. Only as we each individually strive for humility, the fruit of humility, the the, the spirit work of being humble in our lives. If we're all humble, we will attain unity. And when we attain unity, the gospel will look glorious. The gospel will look as it's supposed to look. Life transforming, life giving, life saving. And Paul says in in chapter 2 verse 3, In humility count others as more significant than yourselves. So all of us all of us then have work to do. We all have something to do in the area of humility. In working against our pride. We all have as to use the the language of the previous passage we were studying before these verses, we all have to work out our own salvation. That's our treasure verse. And that least that that at least includes Paul said do, do things like cut, cut grumbling and, and complaining and arguing and disputing. Cut that out of your spiritual diet, your salvation workout plan. Cut that out and, and replace it with holding fast the word of life. So there's a measure for all of us. There's, there's a next step for all of us. There's an there's a obstacle, a hurdle for all of us in working out our own salvation and if we all work at it, we, we, we can grow exponentially in our humility towards one another, in our attitude towards one another, our perspective of one another. And if we grow in our humility, we can have unity. Unity even in the most divisive of situations or the most potentially divisive situations. If you remember, one of the things we learned at when we did an overview of Philippians as we began, we, we kind of fast forwarded to chapter 4 in Philippians and this church is in the middle of what can be a very explosive, divisive situation. That's why Paul's writing this letter and he's emphasizing the absolute, crucial, essential need for unity unity put put the gospel first and put myself last now when we look about when we look at that read it study it think about it i mean we all think that 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 sounds great, Paul. I mean we can all say Amen to that. Those are things that we know are good things unity, humility, holding fast the word of life, not grumbling, not complaining, not arguing, working out our salvation, what God all of those things. We I mean we say amen to that. We all agree that that what Paul is prescribing for us as a local church, that it's all things that we need. It's all things that we should be about. But agreeing with what is said, it's like it's easier said than done, right? And it's difficult for us sometimes because we can agree with the theological truth of what we're studying, but it kind of rests as theory, It's true, but it's kind of theory as long as it's just just something that we talk about and not something that we practice. How do you move it from just something in the arena of just a nice subject that we get from the Bible that we say, oh yeah, that's true, that's good, that's what we need to do, but, but then how do you do it? How do you move from talking to living How do you get from theory to how it actually plays out in real life, in real day-to-day, in in real relationship, in in real discussion, in real prayer, in real working side-by-side with others, serving side-by-side with others? And so first, what Paul does is he sets before us the greatest example of all. And in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, he set before us Christ. And he said, we all, we all need to be humble. We all need to put others first. So just look at Christ. Look at Christ. And Paul says it this way, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, keep your eyes on Christ and follow his example. There's no one, there's no greater example of humility, there's no greater truth of humility than looking to Christ. And by the way, Paul says, it's yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, God, Christ lives in you. As a believer, Christ lives in you. God has already worked in you humility. Christ lives in you. Now just work it out. Work it out. But therein lies the problem, right? Therein lies the issue. Therein lies the struggle. Because even though we have Jesus and he's all we really need, he is sufficient it's kind of like you say, yes, I, I know Christ lived this way, but I'm, I'm will. And I'll never, in this life at least, I'll never be Christ. I want to be Christ-like. I want to grow in Christ-likeness. I want to be more like Christ, but I'll, I'll never be there. And sometimes that reality becomes our excuse for not striving. So it really does help us because we're frail, we're weak, we look for excuses, we need constant motivation and, and, and people energizing us in our spiritual walk. And so it really does help when we see flesh and blood people. Because Jesus is with the Father at the right hand. He's sufficient. He lives within me but it really does help when when I see flesh and blood people right beside me who are living not theory, but practice. They're actually walking what I would agree. Yeah, that's how you walk. That's how you live. That's how a Christian should be. But they're actually doing it. They're not just agreeing with the theory. They've actually adopted it as their way of life. They actually look like Jesus. They actually talk like Jesus. And here comes into our letter Timothy and Epaphroditus. Real flesh and blood examples to help motivate and inspire and encourage our walk of faith. People that have gone from theological theory to gospel reality. One of my heroes calls this Jesus with skin on. We need Jesus with skin on. People that we look eye to eye with, and, and live with, and rub shoulders with, and, and encounter that are actually living this out, white hot for Christ. We need to see it in real life, real people. And Paul knew this, and so he tells the church in Philippi, I'm going to send you Timothy. I know that what I've been talking about and what I'm challenging you with and what I'm teaching you here, I I know you're going to agree with it, but I want you to see it. I want you to see it in real, living flesh and blood. I'm going to send you Timothy. And I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. So, you can see what I'm describing. When I say work out your salvation for God is working in you, I want you to see that what I'm talking about is not impossible. It's not a theory, it's Christianity in real life. It's Christ, it's Jesus with skin on. I was so fortunate in my young days as a believer, I was saved when I was a freshman in high school. I had several men growing, growing up in my younger years in Christ and all through my life in Christ. Really, God has blessed me with men in my life who were Jesus with skin on for me. And one was my Sunday school teacher. His name is Glenn Stoddard. He taught the high school Sunday school class. He came every Sunday morning with, he was excited about what he had learned in the Bible. I, I'd never seen anybody that excited about the I'd seen a lot of people really excited about a lot of things. But I'd never seen anybody that excited about what he had learned in the Bible that previous week and wanted to tell us about it. Every week. I didn't know what to do with it. You get, you mean. This that I've just got means that much. Jesus with skin on, and you didn't have to be around him long to know this man loved Jesus. It wasn't just the Sunday school hour, right? It was, his, it was his whole life. When he was in church, he was worshiping. He was praying. He walked with God. He he really was a man of prayer. He was always praying. He was always talking about the Bible. Everybody talked about everything else. Glenn talked about the Bible. He lived by faith and he trusted in God and he encouraged everyone around him to do the same. He he still does. I was thinking about Mr. Stoddard, as, as we would call him, or Mr. Glenn. I was thinking about the impact of Jesus with skin on in my life and those young, formative Christian years, and I couldn't recall a single lesson he taught, but I never got over how he lived and how excited he was about the gospel and about what Christ could do in our lives and about the prayer God had just answered in his heart the previous week. He was Jesus with skin on. So Paul says, I'm going to send you some examples. I want you to see. I want you to taste. I want you to hear. I want you to be around. I want you to rub shoulders with what I'm talking about. So the first thing I want us to see today, we'll study Timothy. Be, be a Timothy. Notice that Paul admits This kind of believer is all too rare. They are few and far between. There should be more like Timothy. But Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Listen to these words. For I have no one like him. He stands out. His light shines bright. Boy, he is is really something to be around. If you want to be encouraged, if you want your faith to grow, if, if you want to be energized to love Christ, let me send to you Timothy. There's no one like him. And this is Paul, and there are a lot of good people hung around Paul. This is what a believer looks like in flesh and blood. Timothy was all in with Jesus. He was all about the gospel. Paul says, if you want to see what I'm talking about, I know I've I've, I've kind of thrown a lot of heavy stuff in your lap in chapter 2 and a lot of big hills to climb so if you want to know what it looks like, look at Timothy. Why? Well, let's talk about that together. No, number one, first of all, Timothy, this guy just oozes with humility, doesn't he? Look at that. the, the last part of, of verse 20, and we'll pick up verse 21 as well. Paul says, I have no one like him who will genuinely Be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. I've got a lot of people around me who are good people, but really, they're they're very self-serving. They're very inward inclined. They're still struggling with this pride and with this self-thing. But but Timothy, he's going to genuinely be concerned about you. I've never seen anything. There's no one else like it. Now, that's exactly what Paul says we need. Go back with me to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. So Paul says, if you want to see that theological truth in real life, I hope I can send Timothy to you soon because he will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. They all seek after their own interest, but not Timothy. He oozes with humility he's always putting others ahead of himself he's working out what god has worked in second timothy loved the gospel and the and gospel causes didn't he in verse 22 you know of timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he served me in the gospel when christ saved timothy and forgave his sins and made him a new creation and adopted him into his eternal kingdom and gave him peace beyond all understanding and the hope of eternal life and joy in Christ. Timothy never got over it. He never got over the gospel. He never got over that Christ saved a sinner. He never, he, he, he ne, it never got old. He, he, he worked to make it stay fresh in, in his heart, but he loved the gospel and loved serving the gospel. Ha, ha, have you ever, have you ever been somewhere and you know, it's a, it, it's a temporary trip. It's a vacation or, 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 or you're passing through somewhere and, and for some reason you just, you just think, boy, I, I wish I could stay here forever. Or, or has there been a moment, a moment in your life that w- that was meaningful, that that was significant, and you think, boy, I wish I could, I wish I could just, you know, bottle up this moment and keep it and save it. That's the way Timothy was about the gospel. He he never moved past it. He he spent his life to spread it to others. He was very very gospel-centered in his life. Notice with me, observe with me some key distinctives of of Timothy's gospel-centered life. Number one, he was discipled by Paul. Paul says in that verse, you know, he was as a son with a father to me. Paul became a spiritual father to Timothy. Timothy. He learned from Paul. Now, uh, having a humble spirit really helps you be a great learner. Paul realized he, uh, Timothy realized he needed to be instructed in the faith, so he sat at the feet of Paul. He, 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 he ate up everything that Paul said. He, he watched what Paul did. He learned by being taught, and, and, and he caught from, from Paul his gospel-centered, Christ-focused lifestyle. And by the time Paul writes 1st and 2nd Timothy, Timothy, the spiritual son of Paul, is now the spiritual father to the church at Ephesus. You see what's see what's happened? He who has been discipled became a discipler. That's the nature of our faith, that's the nature of growing in Christ. We will always need to be discipled. Someone will always need to be pouring into our lives because we will always need to be growing. I'm always looking for people, looking for preachers to listen to, looking for people to sit and have lunch with. And oftentimes I sit and I say, Now tell me. Tell me. I want to hear. I want to hear about Christ. I want to I want to I want to hear about what God's doing, how God did it, what's going on. We'll always need to be discipled. And at some point when our faith is is grounded and when we are established in our faith, we need to disciple others. We need to invest in others. We need to pour into them what others have been pouring into us. We need to be drinking from the fountain of godly wisdom and discernment and truth from others as Jesus with skin on. And and then we become Jesus' skin on to others that's timothy he was discipled by paul and 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 here's the second thing about his gospel centered life he was consistent now timothy wasn't perfect none of us ever will be in this life but he was growing in the faith and and therefore his witness grew among the saints he was growing And as his his faith was growing, his witness was growing. And Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says, you you know of his proven worth. You've heard, you can give testimony, you can witness to the kind of character, to the kind of man, to the kind of believer that Timothy is because you've been exposed to it, you've heard it, you've been around it. In other words, Timothy has a track record for Christ. He wasn't a quitter. He wasn't living for the Lord in a, a few months and, and then disappeared for a few months. He, he was consistent in his faith. And, and we need consistency in our walk with the Lord. Listen, we talked about last time the the correlation between the physical workout and the, and the spiritual workout. A, a physical workout plan won't work if you're not consistent, if you're not consistent with it every day on a regular basis, ongoing. That's what makes the plan work, consistency. One month on and two months off, it, it won't work. The plan won't work if you don't work it. And neither will our salvation workout plan. We, we won't grow. Our, our faith won't deepen. Our, our roots won't deepen. Our, our affection for Christ won't, won't deepen. If we spend a few days with Jesus here and there, scattered, when we can, grab it on the go. If we worship with believers every now and then, when, when we have time, when it fits our schedule, when we're not tired if we just resist temptation every once in a while when we can't get by with it if we only pray when things go wrong or when the doctor's appointment is coming up it won't work We'll always be defeated. We'll always have a, a place like we're stuck in a spiritual rut. We, we won't know the joy of abundant life in Christ even in the hard times. We, we won't know the joy and the glory of walking with Christ day by day by day through the valley and over the mountain and through the hardship and through the times of joy. If half the time we leave Christ behind and we go and we do our own thing until we think we need him again. And a large, vast majority of believers live that way. Christ is a pickup when you need a pickup. If you don't need a pickup, you don't pick him up. Your faith won't grow that way. You won't move mountains that way. You, you won't see God do incredible things in your life, in your home that way. You'll chase empty things all your life and never be filled. Paul says of Timothy, you know of his proven worth. That means his consistent witness. His constant walk. His proven worth. he served gospel causes when paul would say okay men i need a volunteer Timothy say, okay i'll go before he even hears what do you have to do where do you have to go timothy's thinking i'll do it i'll go i'm ready it's the gospel let's go it's to spread the fame of christ let's go it's to take the gospel to people who haven't heard let's go Timothy, it's going to cost you. Let's go. It's going to hurt. Let's go. You're going to have to give up. Let's go. You know of his proven worth, how how as a son with a father, he served me in the gospel. Don't you love Timothy? By the way, students, he was a young man when he came to Christ. He was young, teenager. he was young when he came to christ and he was so in love with jesus and so sold out to jesus imagine this that when other believers when a church down the road or a church in another region needed to see an entire congregation needed to see jesus with skin on paul says timothy timothy go show them jesus Students, I encourage you. I challenge you today. Be a Timothy. Be Jesus with skin on. College and singles, I, I encourage you. I implore you. Be Jesus with skin on. Look different. Live different. Men, I encourage you. Be be a Timothy. Church. Be a Timothy. Let's go to our second example, Epaphroditus. What were his credentials? What qualified Epaphroditus to be flesh and blood example, a a Jesus with skin on for the Philippians? Paul immediately says this. He says, I have thought it necessary, so you, you really need to see this man with Jesus with skin on. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And the first description that comes to Paul's mind when somebody says, What do you think of Epaphroditus? Paul says, My brother. My brother. We know he's not talking biological, he's talking spiritual, but it's even more than just the theory, theoretical, theological truth of being spiritually united in Christ. We're all that. We're all brotherhood and sisterhood in this room. But how many of us think of each other as my brother? The bond of fellowship and love and faith had so grown between them and was so tight that that when Paul thought of Epaphroditus, he thought of a brother. You see, Timothy was a son. Epaphroditus was a brother. You teach a son. You disciple a son. A brother you walk through life with. You jump in the fire with. You go to the fight with. You go through the struggle with. You live life with. And we need those bonds in the church, in this church. We need that kind of brotherhood and sisterhood that we know each other's faults, we know each other's weaknesses, we know each other's strengths, and we're here together to walk through this life and journey for Jesus together. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a single strand, you can snap it pretty easy, but a threefold cord is hard to break. When you bond together, when you soldier together, when you live together. And, and I know that's, why, that's how Paul thinks about him because look what he says. He's my brother. Why is he your brother? Because he's my fellow worker and fellow soldier. He's there with me. He's in the fight. He labors with me. He loves with me. If there's a work to be done, if there's a stand that needs taking, if, if whatever Paul whatever Paul needs, whatever the cause, if Epaphroditus is around, Paul is not going by himself. He's not alone. He's got a brother that's right there with him. Some burdens are too heavy to lift on our own. Some tasks are too large to manage on our own for Christ, for the sake of the gospel. We need fellow workers to help us lift the load, to lift us as we're lifting the load. Look with me at Exodus chapter 17. Here's a great Old Testament example of what Epaphroditus was for Paul. Paul. Exodus 17 and verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Isn't that great? But Moses couldn't do it on his own he needed jesus with skin on and that's what paul says let's go back that's what paul says epaphroditus is he further describes him not only my fellow worker and my fellow soldier that's why he's my brother but he's your messenger and he's my minister he was constant in other words epaphroditus was constantly serving others He served Philippi by being Paul's courier. He would take them word for Paul, from Paul. And when when Paul sent a letter to to Philippi, Epaphroditus was the mailman. He made sure they received the word that they needed. They, They needed to hear these things. They needed to grow. They needed to be challenged. They needed to be encouraged. They needed to be directed. They needed these words from Paul, and he set off to make sure they have them. He served them. He was their messenger and he would also take from them encouragement from them back to Paul and he would do this no matter what it cost him it wasn't about what it cost him it was about what they needed He did everything he could to meet their need and and to meet Paul's need. Now, what made him that kind of man? What made him that kind of believer? Two things real quickly. Number one, he selflessly loved others. Look at verses 26 and 27. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God God delivered him. God healed him so that he wouldn't die and and so that he could encourage you and so that I wouldn't be sorrowful over losing my brother. But Epaphroditus longed for them to be encouraged. You see that? He he, he didn't say, boy, Epaphroditus is really down because he's sick. So he's really down and discouraged because he's so sick. No, he said, he's longing for you all because he's sick. And he, he doesn't want you bothered. He doesn't want you worried. He wants you to know God healed him. And that's the same quality found in Timothy, isn't it? That's the same lesson of verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. Consider others, count others more significant than yourself. He, he was ill, but he's worried about them. He selflessly loved others. Secondly, he selflessly sacrificed and suffered for the cause of Christ. That's verses 28 through 30. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. Paul struggled with that too. There's a side note. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. It was you he was concerned about. He almost gave his life for it. Epaphroditus came to Philippi with news of Paul's imprisonment, and the Philippians sent Paul a love offering to meet his needs through Epaphroditus. We learn all this in chapter 4. Somewhere along the way, Epaphroditus encountered something, came across something, and it almost cost him his life to get that money, to get that support, to get that offering to Paul. But he wasn't concerned about his life. He was concerned about Paul. He was concerned about the advance of the gospel. He was concerned about the church at Philippi. He was concerned about the work of Christ. He was concerned about others to the point of that. That sounds like Jesus. Verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. Here's your your main example, Christ, and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now, Epaphroditus embraces Christ. Christ gets all over him. Epaphroditus is all about the gospel, therefore he's all about others. And he goes to the point of almost death for the work of christ listen listen to this carefully church and we're going to wrap up when people are jesus with skin on eventually our eyes are off of them and on to jesus eventually we it clicks that's what make what what's making them click is jesus So, I really don't need some more Timothy. I need his Jesus. Timothy's just helping me see. That's what I need. We need people around us, church, who are Jesus with skin on. People we can see, people we can hear, people we can watch, real flesh and blood examples of godliness. People who, who, in the faith, can say to us as we're struggling in our moment of weakness or moment of doubt or moment of sin, people can look at us and say, I've been there, done that, let me tell you what Jesus did whatever we're going through. They walked through that valley and they made it to the mountain. They were trapped in that sin and they have been delivered. They struggled in that fog and now they see the light. They exemplify the fruit of the Spirit that we know we need in our lives. We need to see it. We need to be around it. And the other side of it is we need to be Jesus with skin on for those around us. Parents, are we Jesus with skin on? Moms and dads, are, are we Jesus with skin on? Can, can the children growing up, we're, we're their primary disciples. Not Pam. Not Martin. We are. When they grow up in our home and see the good, the bad, and the ugly, do they see enough Jesus with skin on to say, yeah, there's some things about Dad that, but the Jesus in him? That's what I need. Students, singles, are you Jesus with skin on? Man, can it be said of you, if you want to know what it looks like to love Jesus and go to high school, if you want to know what it looks like Jesus on Friday night, if you want to know what it looks like to love Jesus and be in a relationship if you want to know what it looks what it looks like to love Jesus and be 16 and be 22 look at them watch them church are we flesh and blood examples of godliness are we or are we examples of selfish ambition and grumbling and disputing? Be a Timothy. Be an Epaphroditus. Be the kind of person in this community that people already know. They say, "I got something. I got something real juicy. I won't tell on the preacher." <laughs> They already know. Well, don't go talk to him. He won't listen to it. Or if they say, "Man, I, I'm, I'm re- something's really going on in my heart, and I, I need somebody, somebody to take me by the hand and help me see Jesus in a fog where I don't see Jesus anywhere," and you think, "I know who to go talk to." Let's be a Timothy. Let's be an Epaphroditus. Let's be Jesus with skin on. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the examples you put in our lives of godliness, of hope, of faith, of of gospel living and gospel loving it's been so enriching in our walks we want to be those kinds of people lord for some of us lord we we've we've seen enough we, we've been around enough to know we don't need right now in this very moment on this very sunday morning at this very hour we we don't need somebody with as jesus with skin all right right now we just need jesus we need him to save us. We need him to forgive us. We need to quit playing the good old boy, good old girl game. And we just need to give our lives to Jesus. He's been a sideline for, for our life. He's never been first and foremost. We just need Jesus. Today's the day. And for some of us, Lord... Would you raise up for it? We're in a place, we're not ready to disciple others. We're in that place we need to be discipled. Would you surround us with with those people that will be Jesus with skin on to us? And and those of us, we've been walking with the Lord long enough. We're not perfect, but we sure could encourage. We sure could disciple. We sure could help. We sure could pour in to somebody else the love of the gospel, the love of Christ, uh, all that we have in Jesus, Lord, there's, there's so much that needs to be done right now. Only you can do it. We ask you to work in Christ's name. Amen.